and welcome to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am as always your host Sotak Andre and you're listening to episode 21 which is going to be part 2 of uh, my conversation with Marty Kendall and Vincent Sparagna. In this episode we continue where we left off and we transition into the topic of uh, satiety. We approach satiety from a general perspective and then get into some of the specifics. We discuss uh, more than 500,000 days worth of MyFitnessPal data and uh, what Marty has learned from it. Vincent offers some of his uh, usual, uh, (laughs) I call them pedantic critiques, but they are uh, very relevant. And we also discuss the satiating effects of protein, which lately have been kind of questioned, I guess. So I think it's a very interesting episode. I hope you will agree and you will find it helpful. So enjoy and um, talk to you after. Okay, so I think this would be a good point to transition into uh, another um, key topic that we wanted to cover today, and that is satiety. So maybe to start off, would you like to define satiety or how you like to think uh, about it? And um, then perhaps we can get into some more practical aspects of it. Yeah, as I mentioned before, um, energy balance does matter, but we find it really hard to self-regulate, especially if we've got a a diet that is hyper-palatable, lots of flavors, lots of artificial colors, and lots of um, fat and carbs together with low protein and low fiber that tend to drive us to overeat more. And the the manufactured junk food, um, the donuts, the croissants, the cookies, the cake, um, and all the other things that have come since that have been engineered to sell more tend to be really easy to overeat. And if you're going to try and diet and reduce your calories, then it's going to be hard if you're going to if you're prioritizing those foods. So um, that that's the high level. You know, what is satiety? Satiety is really the foods that will help you to eat less over the long term. It'll make you feel full. It'll keep you full for longer. You won't want to eat again as soon you won't be thinking of food you won't want to eat a ton of food um and and where we came into this is um there there was a a study done back in 1995 at the university of sydney uh, a satiety index of common foods where they took 38 different foods and gave them in a laboratory setting to different participants and uh, let them eat a thousand kilojoules worth and then measured their perceived satiety every 15 minutes for two hours and then gave them a banquet after three hours and and looked at how much they ate and their perceived satiety and and what they found there is that um foods with more protein tend to be more filling foods that have a lower energy density tend to be more satiating Um, foods with more fiber tend to be more satiating And, and these are all interrelated factors and then interesting um Foods that are very low fat tend to be satiating, um, but it's it's sort of the and foods that are very low carb also tend to be satiating, uh, but it's the foods that are combination that uh, that were found to be easy to overeat. Again, the cookies, the cakes, the donuts. Um, yeah. So recently, we came across a a, a database of five hundred thousand days of my fitness pal data, and thought maybe we can continue to refine that to drop into the the nutrient optimizer platform to help you identify foods that will uh, maximize satiety and help you to eat less Uh, up until then we just looked at energy density and said well energy density is is a key factor in satiety and therefore we're going to do that but we thought hey we can refine that formula a little bit more if we if we use this data to refine our understanding of of what factors uh, influence satiety so yeah that was really fascinating and, and developed some really powerful relationships and better refined understanding and more precision um, around that I suppose what what we found particularly um, the combination of starch um, not just not carbs per se but particularly starch in our current food system with fats and I think that's potentially vegetable oils people don't seem to be eating more saturated fat than they did 50 years ago it's really the vegetable oils that have exploded so it's the monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats from vegetable oils that has skyrocketed 
Um, it's the combination of those two things that tend to make up our, our, a lot of our modern food system that tends us to eat a lot more. So if we're eating crackers, donuts, cakes, cookies, um, you know, Doritos, we, we're going to find it very, 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 very hard to to optimize our intake to, to get lean, um, to maintain a, a healthy body composition, to avoid diabetes and obesity and all the metabolic issues that we have and i suppose the other thing that was really fascinating when we looked at carbohydrates um it's not particularly low carbohydrate that is is desirable or optimal but it's once you get out of again that fat plus carb zone once you get less than 30 percent carbs or maybe greater than 60 percent carbs you um, tend to improve satiety but then once you push it to a really really low carbohydrate intake you tend to get more fat and maybe lower protein or, or whatever and you don't seem you, you, your benefit of going low carb seems to dissipate once you go really really low carb as you get a, a more energy dense diet so sort of that 20 to 30 percent carb seems to be the point where you'd optimize satiety um, and get endogenous ketones from your body from your body fat being burnt whereas if you get to a very low carbohydrate intake you might get exogenous ketones which is from your dietary fat your excess dietary fat building up as ketones in your bloodstream but that's not necessarily going to lead to all the metabolic health benefits that most people think of when they think of a ketogenic diet so it's a bit of a ramble and uh, maybe start the the, the discussion the heckling and the cross-examination from there no that was great and that whole 1995 study is a classic and I'm really glad that you touched on the my fitness per data because that was one thing I actually wanted to bring up. And if memory serves in that study, potatoes were the uh, number one food for satiety, boiled potatoes, which we all know how tasty they are. <laughs> but, but, but cooked and cooled potatoes, so they would have had a lot of resistant starch the next day, which is a fascinating aspect. And does resistant starch have beneficial effects on satiety? But again, it's not highly palatable either but if you put a whole lot of butter and oil with your potato you get a a french fry and they're pretty palatable so yeah don't don't add butter to your potatoes probably the bottom line yeah exactly and um in that study also fiber intake was uh, also uh, correlated with uh, higher satiety and water intake too um but as far as protein goes yeah i mean protein is such a magical macronutrient i mean especially for women i mean I um I don't know if she listens to this, but just recently I came across a girl that uh, I knew in high school, and she just started lifting uh, eight to ten year ago or something like that. And um, I don't know how she learned this, but she's just down in protein, and oh my god, she just she just she just looks like a different person. And I noticed this with so many my former girlfriend, um, the women I trained, all of them. I mean, the moment that uh, you give women protein. Uh, you drop their carbs a bit, um, you give them heavy resistance training and their body just transforms. I mean, and it's just it's just like it works like a charm and it's just it's just like like magic, but it's so hard, it's so hard to convince them that you know, am I going I'm not going I'm not going to get fat. No you won't, just eat your protein. But I heard that's go- going to make me fat. Yeah, we um in that article I looked at um like most people seem to in the my fitness pal diet as they were typically that the, the highest frequency of protein intake was between 15 and 20 percent protein in the MyFitnessPal dieters, but most people, it's around 12 to 14 percent, which seems to be the optimum level that minimizes, uh, you know, satiety and, and, and maximizes food intake. But as you push protein up more and more and more, based on this data, to you know, above 35 percent. And not many people are doing that, but the people that did tended to eat less across the day. And the, the way we quantified satiety was really to say, okay, we can see the amount of uh, calorie target that people had for the day. So people set a goal, and then if they um, got under their goal, we assume that hey, you were satiated. And and you know, so the question overall is is what factors affect the uh the propensity the likelihood that you're able to achieve your calorie target and maybe exceed it for the day so yeah definitely protein is a very strong driver of satiety interesting um sugar tended to be a 
a, a pro of satiety that um, I don't know whether it's related to uh, more green veggies or more fruit or a lower energy density, but um, sugar per se doesn't seem to be something to be feared. But if you've got a, a conglomerate food that's a manufactured food of starch fat and sugar that's refined then yeah definitely say avoid it but sugar per se or carbohydrates per se is a, uh, a not necessarily to be avoided interesting one point that i wanted to push back against concerning your claims about different percentages of macronutrients that one consumed can affect satiety first concerning this index i'm not actually sure that what you're measuring is society is satiety, rather than what might more accurately be called conducivity to diet success. So, for example, if you I'm are retitle my article, <laughs> yeah, if you are in fact measuring satiety with regards to how full one feels, then my Fitness Pal database wouldn't provide you with anything that hints at this data, other than energy intake. But energy intake is influenced by many factors other than satiety. And I think that's probably worth noting that something like differences in sleep, protein intake, vegetable intake, fiber intake, viscosity of food consumed, ketogenic dieting or not, food reward, each of these factors can throw off one's energy intake irrespective of how satiated they are. So while appetite can play a big role in determining energy intake, people aren't necessarily more satiated if they're eating less. But your graphs show that people who tend to achieve their diet goals, tend to consume these ratios of macronutrients rather than, I think, indicate satiety. Would you agree there? Yeah. I mean, most people aren't Googling for what, what would uh, propensity for diet, diet success. Um, they're, they're not Googling for satiety either, really. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a very important concept regardless to say what are the factors that tend to lead to you eating less on a day-by-day basis over the long term so these are sort of habitual diets obviously from people who are um, tracking for a couple of months so these these are people's habitual diets not just one laboratory session or one meal or or a short-term study Um, uh, I suppose on on the 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 the, propensity to, to eat more and, and food reward i think food reward i think is is you know stephen guinea talks about food reward and the that the mental addiction but he also acknowledges and i've heard him talk about that the foods that are easiest to overeat to those combination fat plus carb foods which is probably the, 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 the take home of this and uh i think the reason why those foods are really rewarding for us and we want more of them is that they they do fill our fat and carbohydrate store tanks in our body in a way that really only happens a little bit in autumn in our food system maybe breast milk and acorns and a few foods like that that other that combination that helps us to prepare for winter um and and build build body fat and we see the same sort of thing in in rat studies where um, you give them fat and carbs together and they, they eat a lot more. It's like this, this, it drives this hyperphagia that says, you know, I need to eat more because winter is coming because the, the seasons say these foods are available and therefore I need to eat more. So um, I don't know whether most people might think that's a bit of woo-woo, but um, I, I think there's some really interesting research and there's a few upcoming blog articles that I've got exploring that that concept that um, we have a seasonality of our diet um, that we have maybe a, a keto low carb type diet in winter and maybe a protein spring modified fast type approach more skewed in that direction in spring and then maybe more a high carb in in summer and then a a, 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 a fat plus carb more dominant in autumn and, and we do have a natural cycle but these days we sort of have a, a we're locked in that autumn period where there's just fat and carbs available we never get to cycle into that protein spring modified fast which seems to strip back our fat um in 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 spring in in the natural environment if you look at the 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 body fat oscillations of um, bears and the like um it's fascinating to watch how that changes with the seasons as they prepare for different seasons interesting so to summarize, you would say that even though you can't necessarily track which 
levels of macronutrients are inducing greater satiety. We have other evidence to suggest that those foods with higher ratios of fat and carbohydrate are probably less satiating. Thus, the guidelines you give tend to line up with what will lead to people being fuller and less dependent on food reward, more dependent on hunger signals. I suppose it doesn't give a... a, a, It's multifactorial, and that's probably what we tried to flesh out. We've developed a satiety index that um, there's a little app that we developed online you can google you can search for your favorite foods um the if you google never never hungry diet you can enter your favorite foods and um they're not necessarily all high protein foods some of them are low energy density high fiber foods but um yeah there's definitely we, we we've developed a refined quantitative way of ranking foods based on the satiety in which which at least which ones will help you to eat less over the long term. So regardless of what you call it, I think it's it's um, going to help you stabilize your intake and eat less and you know look better in the mirror and avoid metabolic diseases like diabetes and everything else that comes with that, which is pretty much bankrupting our Western civilization. So um, whatever you call it, it, it helps us to eat less, live longer, avoid diabetes, obesity, heart attack, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, whatever you name it, whether it's satiety or propensity for diet success or whatever, it's how do we eat less without being driven mad with hunger? And how would you respond to the limitations on some of these data that you're using to construct these graphics or these scales? So, one of that those limitations being this is based on the MyFitnessPal data. And people tend to underreport their food intake, but also misreport their food intakes just in general, such that st- some studies report little or no relation between logged food intake and actual food intake. And a second point that food quality is ignored in some of these charts, those looking at different macronutrient ratios and diet success with regards to energy intake or satiety index, however you're breaking those you can't necessarily tell if somebody was eating apples or something refined when they are reporting that they've consumed 50 grams of carbs. Yeah, so I suppose on the underreporting, um, A, that would be consistent across the board regardless of your macronutrient or energy density intake. So you're going to have that error consistent across all 500,000 data points. So that, in a way eliminates and standardizes that issue so um i think you can still make meaningful deductions especially when it aligns with all this other research from laboratory and you know rat studies and the like um and what we see i suppose in nature and uh uh, my my wife showed me a a great uh, video clip last night looking at justin timberlake's wife training for these amazing movies where she gets completely shredded for for eight months but um and she's eating meat and veggies and and on a on a really 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 strict diet but um as soon as she's allowed to have a cheat day and uh get near a dunkin donuts in a pizza store she downs 24 donuts and two pizzas in a in a minute and you know that that that's how we're programmed and you see that and it's hard to argue that um it's those foods that make us just go wild with with uh, appetite and and eat way more than we usually would if we had foods that are available right now in nature if you went out there and tried to find them um so i I don't think it it it, it's radically different to what we actually see out there in nature um and i suppose on on the under reporting as well you could say well maybe some people just reported breakfast and forgot to record for the rest of the day because they had a bit of a binge that they didn't want to admit um we have sort of truncated it at um, between 50 and 150 percent of the goal intake for the day so we eliminated people who are obviously trying to bulk and gain weight and eliminated people who seem to have forgotten to log for the rest of the day so we've taken that out of the picture i suppose we're not looking for precise accuracy or or, or but really the relationship to to refine that relationship and if you look at the charts you can see that I, th- I think we did that nicely that it shows that it's that fat plus carb middle ground that is dangerous and then 
a lower protein rather than a very, very, uh, sorry, a lower carbohydrate rather than a very, very low carbohydrate diet seems to be beneficial as well as a a very high carbohydrate plant-based diet is harder to overeat. You look at the, like we are saying before, the plant-based based vegan type diet community, a lot of them look like, I don't know whether you'd say they're thriving with a ton of muscle mass, maybe some of them are, maybe, but most of them, they're not completely jacked and, and massive, but um, you wouldn't say that they're fat because they've got too much carbohydrates and too much insulin floating around the system. So there's something that's not being explained by the carbohydrate-insulin hypothesis that this um, satiety approach explains a whole lot better, I think. Oh, um, sorry, I, I'm not following uh, the, 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 my, my notes and, and listening to you comment. But um, yeah, and, and to food quality, I suppose it's it's the... Uh, nutrient density we also need to factor in so none of these factors all by themselves really uh, give us everything you can have a satiating diet that's not necessarily nutrient dense and it's actually hard to get a nutrient dense diet that's not satiating but um, most people find nutrient density a new concept that's hard to get their head around so if you bring them on board with these things of um, satiety and that are based on macronutrients that most people understand and then you say hey look these these foods are also highly nutrient dense then you can combine those two things in a multi-criteria analysis to say if we've got um, foods that are highly satiating and nutrient dense that they, they you know all the stars align basically and you go well that's that's a good food and i suppose that's that's what's lacking in the current food guidelines we tend to focus on the things that we should avoid we should avoid saturated fat and salt and you know eat in moderation and uh, let's look at optimal and then let's look at what those that optimal approach eliminates and you don't need to worry too much um don't, don't need to worry too much about saying don't eat too much of these saturated fat or salt or whatever your your negative food of the week is often it's carbs or protein or fat or you just go for the most nutritious satiating foods that align with your goals and everything else just falls into line very interesting and uh, if i might add some anecdotal stuff um me personally i have uh, around well just over 2000 days of consecutive logging as my fitness pair probably and uh, i would say that probably 95% of those days have not have not been under 150 grams of protein uh, with the exception of some odd days where I had just whatever weird day but uh, my usual days are usually around 150 at the least with the most common being around 200 to 230 to 40 grams of protein per day and um, I had the same observation in gyms um, speaking with people online um, being a part of um, fitness groups and so on. Most people who are successful um, have at least uh, three servings of protein per day. They consume protein at each meal. Um, they make protein the uh, the forefront of their meals and they certain and they construct the other things around it. Definitely. On, on my fitness pal, we're in the process of developing a, a tool that will you can sort of say this is by MyFitnessPal account and we can review your data and say based on um, your MyFitnessPal data, which doesn't necessarily contain micronutrient data, we can say yeah, you've got a low satiety diet and it'd help you if you moved a little bit to higher carbs or a little bit to lower carbs to get out of this hyperpalatable zone or maybe based on your nutrient profile, you've got a lack of this, this and this nutrients and therefore you might benefit from eating these foods and um, without having to log in chronometer for all those people, massive amount of people who are logging in MyFitnessPal, um, we hope to be able to have a tool that will help give them guidance based on their current dieting and, and eating pattern, which we think could be pretty cool and pretty exciting. So that shouldn't be too far away. Very interesting. The only thing is I uh, I haven't uh, changed my goals in, in years. So I just have my 2000 calorie goal, whatever, which I ignore and just hit my whatever numbers my are I want to hit and um, so if you if you were to compare my my quote-unquote goal with the actual numbers I would be pretty much over it every single day 
but that's just because I, <laughs> I haven't changed my goal in years. Yeah, there's definitely errors in the MyFitnessPal data, but it, it's such a big data set with half a million days that it, I think it gives us some powerful insights. And, um, you know, if, if you disagree with it, then run a laboratory study for me and, and pay for it to, to invalidate my satiety thesis, you know, bring it on. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, Vincent's uh, concerns are valid, but... Um, most of the stuff is just not practical. Protein and its effects on satiety have been a hot topic in fitness lately. And there is some talk around the protein leverage hypothesis that we could probably address, as well as the generalities in the research with regards to protein's impact on satiety. So is the protein leverage theory that uh, there's that sort of threshold that you have to pass? And once you pass that, that... Uh, any additional protein past that point, it's not going to give you benefit? It's the idea that we continue to eat food until we get enough um, protein. Yeah, yeah. So you'll continue to chew through food and chew through calories and keep on eating energy until you get the protein you need to maintain your your muscle mass. And I suppose I, I subscribe to that to some degree, but I think there's also a, a nutrient leverage hypothesis going on. And we did a similar analysis with sodium in the diet and definitely found that um, we eat, we tend to eat less when we get enough sodium in our diet. And unfortunately, I don't have more data than the sodium. I'd love to get uh, a lot of data to understand the micronutrient effects of our diet and how that changes things. But um, yeah, there's definitely some influence of protein on satiety, but it's not Again, it's not the only factor, but I think it's definitely an important factor. And if you prioritize nutrient density, you'll get enough protein. Or if you prioritize, if you don't fear protein, at least you'll get um, plenty of, of nutrient density. I'm going to have to investigate this topic in more depth before I give a very strong opinion on it. But I'll just note a few factors that I've noticed. Holt's satiety index seems to indicate that, at least in isolation, foods that are higher in protein tend to be more satiating in general. In that case, it was meat and fish. Then there's also research suggesting that whey protein supplements are no more satiating than something like sugar water when added to a diet. Additionally, there's some research suggesting that, at least acutely within a meal, or within the context of a larger meal, having a higher percentage of calories from protein doesn't necessarily seem to benefit satiety or hunger ratings. And I'm not completely sure what to make of these seemingly conflicting data, especially in line of the, with the protein leverage hypothesis, noting that at least up until that point or that threshold where you have reached sufficient protein intake, that protein tends to have a disproportionate effect on satiety. I think that's very hard to capture in light of an RCT. It's also hard to determine what the longer-term effects of protein consumption on satiety are, in that most RCTs conducted are looking at very short-term outcomes, intramural satiety rather than in general over a period of weeks or months. And with all of that said, one confounder or potential limitation in many of these studies is the form that this protein takes on. So there's a difference between drinking a whey protein shake and eating a steak on satiety, in that the viscosity of the food and the volume of the food, as well as the time that it takes you to eat the food, can all influence its effects on satiety and your subsequent appetite or cravings. I suppose to, to comment on that, um, yeah, uh, uh, there was a recent... Um Mino Henselman's brought out a, a blog post and then a, a paper recently that compared, I think it was 1.8 grams per kilo body weight to 2.6 grams per kilo body weight and found no statistical difference in satiety in bodybuilders. But I suppose my gripe with that is that, uh, you know, at the same time, you've got the, the, the keto low carb crowd afraid of protein for fear of mTOR going to drive cancer that's going to kill them and therefore they're trying to chase lower than 0.8 grams per kilo body weight a lot of them and uh, you're very confused about protein so to say that protein is no more satiating than carbs or fat in an article headline is um you know not ideal in my perspective when a lot of people are trying 
at the other end, like he's talking about, should I eat 1.8 or 2.6 grams? And if, then you've got these people who are very confused about protein at the at the other end, trying to avoid it, and they end up prioritizing oils and and butter and and not getting nutrients or satiety out of that dietary approach. So I think you've got to have context, and I think it'd be great to have more data points. Would have been great if that study had um, 0.8, 1.8. Were there effect sizes reported in that study? Uh, it was definitely, uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure you'd have to dig into the detail. You'd probably get your head around the the RCT aspect of it in more detail. But um, yeah, I suppose these things are hard to tease out in RCTs to understand the the individual effect of the food when it's it's food and and it's that's where the the, the MyFitnessPal just cloud crowdsourced data mining can be quite helpful to understand the relationships rather than okay I've got two points and I don't have a statistically significant relationship but therefore protein doesn't mean anything it's like well you're already way above the average protein intake by a long shot and yeah maybe it it, it might be better to eat some mushrooms and beans than another whey shake if you're already getting three times the average protein intake Um, but if you're down at that average protein intake then the general population are probably going to benefit by getting a bit more protein as the as a priority or they could prioritize nutrient density which would also lead to the same outcome irrespective of its effects on satiety it's a prudent recommendation to consume 1.8 grams per kilogram of protein of body weight for lean mass retention and or gain to be optimized but i think it's very very difficult to quantify the effects of consuming protein on satiety given the various confounders in that research so, for example, one group could have slept less on average, and that might have impacted their satiety ratings. And there are various other factors within a meal to control in order to actually determine the effects of protein on satiety. So, for example, viscosity being one, food volume being another, meal fiber content being another, ratios of fat to carbohydrate being other factors given that your research or the MyFitnessPal logs seem to indicate that different ratios of fat to carbohydrate can influence the food's palatability and or satiety level. There's just so much to balance here that it's hard to get consistent results in this field. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we tried to to, to develop a multifactorial formula that took into account protein, fat, fiber, carbs, starch, and energy density all at once to develop a a satiety formula that doesn't always give you purely high protein foods sometimes it gives you high fiber or uh, low energy density foods but um, it definitely deprioritizes those starch plus fat combinations and yeah i agree i think it's a really hard thing to make um, pronouncements based on um, randomized controlled laboratory studies that are highly confounded as a general rule, while I think it sparks very interesting discussion to state that protein is no more satiating than carbohydrate or fat, or that it is more satiating than carbohydrate or fat, it's a cool scientific question, but it won't necessarily change what someone should do in practice, in my opinion, which is consume 1.8 grams per kilogram of protein and taking that protein from whole food sources that are nutrient-dense. Um, and I suppose the approach we've taken in the nutrient optimizer is based on the fact that a very low protein intake tends to correlate with a very low nutrient density. We've said, okay, our, our base protein intake, unless you're chasing therapeutic ketosis, is 1.8 grams per kilo lean body mass, which is sort of a, a lower bound. And then we monitor your body fat um, to lean muscle mass ratio, uh, the change in that, and if you're if you're not if you're losing more muscle than body fat, we say okay, time to up your protein. So it's going to be very individual, but like you said, based on your age, your testosterone, your sleep, your diet, um, the bioavailability, the protein you're having. But the best way to 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 really tell what the right protein amount is for you is to start with. A reasonable amount prioritize nutrient density and then if you need to you can say okay i need more protein 
um because i'm working out like nothing else and or i'm dieting really hard and um yeah there's an interesting study from meta-analysis by Stuart phillips where he looked at you know if you've got a 40 percent energy deficit in hard dieting maybe up to 2.6 grams per kilo body weight is a useful goal um yeah so i think how much is your energy deficit and how aggressively are you dieting how much you're lifting all come in and i think although we can't measure body fat accurately as we were saying earlier i think it's useful to track your trend and if you're trending to lose um more more lean muscle mass than body fat then you need to take action 2.6 grams per kilogram body weight being useful for what goal for preserving lean muscle mass in hard dieting so, so i suppose that that gets up to my sort of guidelines would be between 1.8 grams per kilo lean body mass up to 50 percent of your calorie intake above 50 percent it's hard to get any improvements i think beyond that yeah so it seems like um Menno has some sort of fixation with the 1.82 or the 1.8 or 0.82 grams per pound uh, figure. He seems to like that a lot. <laughs> and when it comes to high protein, I think we can't ignore the uh, Jose Antonio's data. I mean, he's probably the most prolific researcher when it comes to these um, studies. And he had a recent study which was one year long. Previously, he had a couple of uh, shorter studies. He used uh, 4.4 kilos per uh, grams per kilo, which is two grams per pound. He used uh, 3.4 previously, and he said that participants were reporting um, dropouts due to um, extreme fullness. They said they couldn't just eat that much protein, and this was, by the way, um, the additional protein was used was uh, given to them via a protein supplement, so whey protein. So I don't know if it's... I, I honestly would highly doubt it that it would be um, just as satiating and nothing more than a sugar water. I mean, at least, at least, I mean, if you're dieting, then yeah, it's it's great. But when you're... Um, I mean, I, I literally had a couple of times recently when I just threw away my shake, I just couldn't couldn't drink it anymore. I just felt, uh, felt nauseous from it. And... Um, from a practical point of view, when you're hungry, man, that cottage cheese that will fill you up, that, that Greek yogurt, that chicken breast. Uh, we discussed this with Trevor Johnson, but um, once you eat 300, 400 grams, 400 grams of chicken breast or uh, a kilo of Greek yogurt, um, man, you won't be hungry. And um, You've got the protein sweats at that point. Yeah, I mean, we could argue that, well, perhaps you could have gotten in veggies for fewer calories but i mean i know how people are some people will if you just give them well if you give them option of well you have to eat this many veggies they will be like oh fuck that shit i'm not eating i'm i'm just going to go back to my donuts and stuff whereas if you give them here is three four tubs of greek yogurt go put some sweetener on it because that's apparently a life hack that uh hashtag life hack that uh, not many people know about that you can use liquid sweet liquid sweetener to sweeten your Greek yogurt and it will instantly uh, transform it into something actually delicious. Add some cocoa to it and you have a quote-unquote chocolate uh, Greek yogurt and um, it's super satiating. So, so I, I honestly, I would I would find it really hard to to put a, such a hard statement out there that well, protein is not uh, any more satiating than fats and carbs especially if you want to dive into mechanistic stuff like um, propensity to store it as a diet, as a adipose tissue. I mean, we know that fat is super easy to store, whereas protein is harder. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm v- at this point, I'm, I'm very not convinced that protein is not, um, not more satiating than the other two macronutrients. I think mechanistically what's happening there is... Um like we talked about before, there's plenty of room to store carbohydrate, about 2,000 calories worth in your muscle and liver glycogen, and you've got pretty much unlimited capacity to store fat. So if you jam one or the other or both together, your body can go, yeah, bring it on, I I, want to store energy. But if you start jamming just prioritizing protein and you've got a high percentage protein in your diet... Um, sound like I'm just advocating for downing protein shakes all day, which is not. But you know, I'm just trying to talk about the 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 case for adequate protein. But what happens when you've got enough protein? You've you've 
got enough protein for muscle protein synthesis. You've only got a limited amount of storage capacity for protein in your bloodstream, about 500 calories of labile protein. And once that fills up, your body goes, uh, you know, I don't really want to use that for energy. It takes me 25% of the energy from protein to convert that to ATP. That's really, really, really hard work. Whereas carbs, 8%. Fat is about 3%. I'd much rather use fat. If you could just feed me some fat for energy, I'd love to use that. But I really don't want to convert the protein to ATP to use for energy or you know, shuttle down the line to, to convert into fat, which is virtually impossible. So your body says, yeah, no, no, I'll, if, you've, if all you've got is protein, I'm done. I'm, I'm full. I'm satiated. I don't want any more food. Can you stop eating? But if you give it those other alternatives, your body will, yeah, we're good. Must must be winter coming. Let's let's go. Let's uh, bring it on. More calories, thanks. I can just keep eating this all day. Yeah, and another line of research to check out if people are interested is Heather Lady's mm. uh, work, who has done uh, quite a number of studies on uh, protein intake and breakfast, and uh, she noticed really? yeah. that uh, people who um, who don't eat protein in the morning tend to eat more at lunchtime, for example. Yeah, we, we, we did that analysis with the MyFitnessPal data and definitely found that people who front-loaded their, their day with energy and energy from protein tended to um, be more satiated and eat less across the day. So yeah, definitely found that trend in this data of half a million days of MyFitnessPal data. I think one caveat to note to your discussion about the difficulties of storing protein as compared to fat, for the listeners, it is still in the context of energy balance, it's just a fact of physiology that if you have consumed more calories than you've expended, you will be storing whatever excess you have there. Just in the case of consuming more protein, more of that energy might be oxidized via the thermic effects of food if it being increased. And Sotak's comment brought up two other issues to mind. One being a confounder I neglected in the satiety of protein research an additional confounder is sensory-specific satiety, so the order in which the researchers actually feed participants their meals will alter the satiety effect of that meal. And further concerning Antonio's studies, he found that fat gain could actually be mitigated for the same amount of muscle gain when bulking on higher-protein diets, so the higher-protein group would gain no less muscle than the other group, but would do so while putting on less fat. So even if there's no satiating benefit of protein, that actually strengthens the argument to include a very high protein intake during a bulking diet or a diet in which you seek maximum muscle gain with minimum fat gain. I would actually argue that that's a, that speaks for the satiating effects of protein. I mean, what's going on in my opinion is that people eat more protein and uh, thus they actually reduce their calorie surplus because, I mean, by this point, realistically speaking, we know that you don't need um, an extra 2,000 calories per day to gain muscle. And likely what's going on is that those participants have already uh, maxed out their um, daily calorie surplus and all the additional calories probably would have gone just for fat gain, which, as Marty said, is pretty much virtually unlimited <laughs> as available basis. Fat storage is going on. So what's likely going on there is that... Um, the participants who ate more protein felt actually more satiated, so their overall calorie intake was less, but it was not uh, so low that it would inhibit their muscle gain. So it's uh, probably a beneficial strategy for people who find it uh, easier to overeat uh, rather than the opposite issue of not getting in enough calories. Yeah, um, and I, I put out a challenge to Vincent the other day when I was chatting on Facebook and said, well, try and create in in chronometer a diet um, that has adequate micronutrients that is low in protein that is uh, you know and I've I found it pretty much impossible that if you've got if you've got vitamins and minerals and essential fatty acids you've got uh, you've got plenty of protein so then this whole argument about too much protein becomes a non-issue just say you know do you think you need to get adequate micronutrients from your diet yes okay well you know that diet will contain plenty of protein. Interesting point. I think it's funny to see how this always goes back to the fundamentals. And while we can go in depth mm. on the scientific questions, the general rules are going to be similar in either case. 
consuming mm. a diet high in plant matter and protein that leads to about 1.8 grams per kilogram protein consumption mm. with a lot of extra nutrients coming from healthier fat and carbohydrate sources i, I like the the keto games guys tag to use fat as a lever so if you need that fat for energy then then ramp up fat as your energy source but if you need to cut it back to lose body fat then you can dial down your your dietary fat um okay so i think we covered a lot of um, ground today we have been going on for two hours now so i think uh, we should uh, we should wrap this up um, maybe as a take-home point i think um we can all agree on that protein is good we should probably get uh, more than the rda and um trying to get in a lot of nutrients is also good and uh, it's probably not a good idea to exclude a whole uh, macronutrient category or uh, whole food groups unless we have some sort of very specific reasons which um, should be um, guided by a medical professional and not just um, based on what a food bugger or some girlfriend told you in the um, in the supermarket the last day. Relating to what you mentioned, um, Marty, previously that we had these sort of um, patterns, these patterns during different seasons. We actually touched on this with uh, Burger Fagelli, but uh, something that popped into my mind because <laughs> I was just shopping today and I just noticed that it's so freaking hard to find fresh veggies this this time of the year. I mean, tomatoes taste like shit cucumbers taste like shit um if you find something it's ridiculously expensive so do you think that um perhaps um we should have indeed this uh um fluctuation maybe we should um, aim for a higher fat higher uh, protein diet during the winter months and um related to this what is the um, if you have any data or uh, or your thoughts on this um what is the time period needed to develop some sort of deficiency because it's not like you need to get in 100% or 200% uh, of every single nutrient every single day otherwise if you didn't get your zinc uh, monday then by tuesday you'll have a deficiency obviously that's not how it works so could we go for a month or two months uh, without planned foods for example and still be fine i like the idea of eating seasonally i think i I agree with um borg's idea around that um another guy i've been influenced by is uh kian foley from he's up in ireland and he wrote don't eat for winter which is a really fascinating book and that a lot of the ideas around combining fat and carbs that just don't occur in nature sort of come from that and he actually you know tries to eat three seasons in one day but there's no meal that will represent two seasons at once so he won't be combining fat and carbs at the same time in the one meal so i think that's probably a fine approach as well and if you're trying to push the the protein spring modified fast spring type approach with high protein for a while then you can probably push that button through winter if you wanted to um, although it's probably optimal if you wanted to to aim for to eat seasonally and just you know eat the things that grow in your backyard you can get fresh from from the farmer's market because any of those cucumbers that you can get in winter have been in storage and the tomatoes have been sprayed the hell out of so they don't decompose over the last nine months since they're actually harvested and that's why they taste like crap so if your veggies taste like crap you probably shouldn't be eating them you should go find better veggies Um, and they probably don't contain the nutrients that you need Uh, as far as nutrient deficiency and timing I, i think it's probably impossible to answer that and it's going to say context matters and um and i was just listening to one of the a podcast with brenda richards who is one of the keto gains coaches and she was talking about having a um having fat loss surgery and that they constrain the the gut the 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 the, the, the pipe into your gut to such a small amount that you can't get food in which is why you you don't eat and you lose weight and you reverse your diabetes and all these magical things but she developed major potassium deficiencies to the point that she needed infusions of potassium and it hurt like hell and you know it was just really 
ugly sounding experience and uh, you know she said other people get advised all you can eat is watermelon so just you know eat watermelon and that, that you know some of those people die because they're just not getting enough nutrients and um, I don't know does it take a month to it probably depends on how much food you're eating and whether you're um, whether you're exercising a lot and how good your gut digestion is and your your, um, your gut function and and your, your biodiversity and and how well you absorb all those foods. And a lot of people these days aren't absorbing foods well because the current diet is really poor and they've got autoimmune issues. And yeah, so it's impossible to tell. And I suppose it's going to be highly symptomatic. And sure, there are plenty of people that are seem to be thriving on a crap diet, but maybe that's 6,000 calories because they're doing a hell of a lot of exercise. So they're probably getting a lot of uh, nutrients in on a, on a fairly low nutrient density diet. But if you tried to restrict calories you had poor absorption and you're eating really crappy food that had a low nutrient density then you're probably setting yourself up for, for challenges and uh, you know i think adequate nutrient density fuels your mitochondria to, to actually produce energy to burn fat to burn energy to burn fuel to make you feel good and um to make you not feel cold and miserable and have a low sex drive so uh you know i think having a mind having an eye always on nutrient density in your diet is probably for me the highest priority and um yeah love people to check out the nutrient optimizer to try and quantify that and maybe compete on the leaderboard we've got about 100 people on the leaderboard um at the moment who have logged their diet and uh yeah it's going to be an interesting competition going forward to see who can design the most nutrient dense diet and what that looks like whether it's mainly plant foods and mainly animal foods and where they sit in between and there you have it, that was episode 21 of the Muscle Engineer podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found something valuable that you can implement into your own diet and training. Now as usual, I'll end the episode with my top 3 takeaways from it. The first big takeaway is that while we can debate the perfect definition of satiety, there's no denying it that, uh, practically speaking, satiety is a critical component of any successful fat loss diet. People simply won't stick to their diets if they are constantly hungry. So whatever you do, whatever your dietary setup is, make sure it offers a good amount of satiety. Otherwise, it has a very high chance of failing you or your clients. The second takeaway is the value of eating protein. Whether we look at research or what's happening in practice, people who eat a higher protein diet tend to be more satiated and thus more successful in their long term not to mention all the other advantages eating protein has so make sure to eat your protein you should aim for around two grams per kilo or around one gram per pound if you're at an average body weight and body composition the third takeaway to kind of tie all this uh, together is another reminder to focus on nutrients like marty said if your priority is getting in sufficient amounts from all the macronutrients You'll likely design a diet that's sufficiently high in protein and also sufficiently satiating while also covering your body's needs, thus giving you a very high chance of succeeding in your endeavors. So those were my top three takeaways and that was episode 21 of the Muscle Engineer podcast. Until next week, whatever your goals are, in the words of Jocko Willing, get after it. <laughs>